Well, you know, I was going to preach a nice soft sermon today, but y'all talked me out of it. <laughs> Thank you, worship team. You know why we're going to beat fear? Because it's an unthinkable to us that the next generation would have to fight the same battle. You know why I beat fear every day in my life? Not because I'm something special, but because it's just unacceptable that my daughters would have to face the same fights that I faced. And when God speaks a blessing over you, you got to fight and get it. But then it belongs to your children. And did you know that, that your ceiling becomes their floor? And that's what I want. You're not fighting for you. You're fighting for the next generation. And you're fighting for the next generation. Like your forefathers did when they came to this country in honor of the Lord their God. Now it's time for us to return to the Lord. First Wednesday is now second Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you for your patience with us. Wednesday night at 7, we're going to have a prophetic uh, teaching moment and worship time and prayer time over you. It's up to you, though. If, if you enjoy struggling the next month, you stay home. You be strong. You tough it out. Or you can come to the house of God and let God do the heavy lifting. And <laughs> I think sometimes Christ followers, look, if you're new to church and you're just checking us out and you're checking out faith, welcome to the house of God. But when you become a son or daughter of God, everything changes. You meet the resurrected Savior. It's not a system of beliefs that saves you. It's a resurrected Jesus. And when you meet this resurrected Savior, who's not afraid of anything, it does something inside of you. God leads us so well, you know. I don't think that God does a lot of shouting with his kids. He whispers. There's a lot of other voices drowning out that whisper, but here's what I know that, that the more fear you have, the further from the whisper you might be than you think. Because the Bible says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so God will continue whispering, but you have to leave the, the city that fear builds to where he is, which is actually out in the battle for you. And he continues to whisper because he can back every whisper with the power of heaven. He doesn't need to shout anything. He doesn't come to battle and shout at the devil. He comes to the battle with a smile on his face. With, he just rolls up and whatever he's driving, a Ducati. He rolls up and just turns the music up, even though I don't know. That's kind of a dead end because my bike doesn't have a stereo in it. And he smiles at his enemies because he knows how it's going to go. He's already seen the end. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He just doesn't tell us about the middle. All right. <laughs> Here's the middle venue, church. I'm going to show you how to deal with fear. We need to leverage love and not leverage fear anymore. And um, I grew up with so much fear. I think sometimes you can look at me because I'm a confident personality, I'm a strong personality, but, um, but I probably grew up with maybe more fear than you grew up with. From the time I was very little, I had, um, you know, it's funny how this, this sickness attacks respiratory problems, and well, that's what I had. I had a severe asthma when I was a child, and we often get trucked off in the middle of the night, yay, to the hospital. How many people love hospitals? Doctors and nurses of venue, like, I love you so much. You don't love hospitals. It smells like bleach, and there's fluorescent lights everywhere. And they have needles that I'm desperately afraid of. Uh, thank you for what you do, by the way. We have a lot of medical personnel here among us. And I like coming to church. I like, 
I like seeing you being able to sit with your cohort families. That does my heart good. And, and, but here's what I would say to you that, that when I was a kid, I had to struggle with fear. You'd be like, well, you don't know what it's like to be sick. I'm like, I, I do know. I know what it's like to be two years old, and it was more complicated than that. I was allergic to everything under the sun, and I'd, I'd be in a, a wake up in the middle of the night, can't breathe. And so I had to deal with, I had to battle nightly sometimes the fear of death, and not just for five minutes, for hours sometimes. And my father, he would, he would, and, and while this was happening, you may not know my story, but I would have extreme night terrors. So have you ever had a night terror? Your child ever had a night terror they can't snap out of? That would happen for hours to me while I can't breathe, while I'm afraid of dying, while, 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 my father would just, he would take me into the other room and he would read Psalm chapter 91 over and over in his calm voice. Just read it. It's the promises of God. Surely he shall deliver you from this. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but, and you can say, well, you're burying your head in the sand. Nope. We buried our head in the scripture, in the promises of God. You can bury your head in the news. It's not going to help. And here's what I realized by the time I was very young, because I had to deal with so much fear, I finally realized that fear is like a little Hitler. And if you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. And if you make a deal with it, it'll take everything from you in the end and destroy your life and pull your family apart and pull your heart out one piece at a time. You cannot make a deal with fear. We need some Winston, spiritual Winston Churchill's here who are like, no, there's something wrong with that guy. I wouldn't go to the hospital unless I had my six guns on back when that was okay. I'm like, I'm not going to the hospital. Man. I can't breathe. I'm thinking I, I might die, but mom, where are my six guns? You know, I got my four years old, whatever. And I'm like, doctor, I don't know if you know this, but you can't stick needles in me unless these six guns, it's okay. I, I was so little that they put me in a crib that I couldn't escape from. And, uh, or tunnel out of, and my mom, I guess she got to the hospital one day and the nurses are like, he's breaking our heart because everybody, every time we walk past, he just yells out the door. My dad's name is Richard Cope and his phone number is 555. <laughs> Tell him to get me out of here. He'll come and save me. <laughs> what God does is he loves our fear away. God does something to us that, that we need to learn how to do with each other, whether you're, you're a boss at work or whether you have children or whether you have friends. There's two ways to affect change in, in a population. And the first way takes a lot more energy than the second way, and it's harder. Thank you, Sean. I'm going to do the same thing I did in the first service and just <laughs> stare at you a little bit. He loves the attention, everybody. He's an introvert. <laughs> He's also my accountability partner, so he's going to have to confess that he was a little angry at me for that. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thank you, worship team, by the way. Yeah. There's two ways you can get a population or a child or an employee. or You, you can affect change in two ways. The first way it takes a lot of energy. I'm going to warn you, though. You've got to have, like, a thick skin. You've got to have a big heart. The first way is to lead and train, to lead and train, to lead and train, to lead and train. You, you have to get used to failure, though, because the first time that you do this is like lead and train, lead and train. The first time you do this, your child might get it, your employee might get it 10% right and 90% wrong. And you're like, okay, okay. You got to celebrate the 10, and then you got to talk about the 90. 
And you take him again. You know, like, you don't want your kid to play on the street. You got to set up like a little fake street <laughs> and lead and train. Am I right? You don't have kids? If you don't have kids, don't judge me. I got four kids, and you're going to be in a grocery store when God blesses you with children. You're going to be in a grocery store, and their kids are going to be throwing a fit. And then all the single people are going to judge you. I love, I love parenting advice from people with no kids, and I love marriage advice from single people. <laughs> lead and train, lead and train, lead and train. You know, if you're trying to train your child not to follow a ball out onto the road, what do you do? You know, you might do something like you have a long driveway, and you're like, okay, the driveway's the road. Okay, we're going to pretend. The driveway's the road. And so maybe you kick a ball back and forth a little bit, and then maybe you miss on purpose, and you're like, remember now, because your child that first time is going to go right out on the road, and they're going to stop like in the middle, right? And, and you're like, okay, okay, okay. You remember now, this is the road, and then you go back, and you're going to have to take some time to do it. It takes time and energy and courage. You have to get used to failure. You have to get resilient. You have to be able to go back and go back and go back. The second way that you can train an employee or, or you can train a population or you can train a child has a 99% success rate first time out of the gate. Guaranteed result. Guaranteed result. I could, trying to get Neela not to play on the road, you know, because the first way is like it involves a little bit of pain. So I'd rather let my child play out on the back path and get hit by one of their friends on a bike, because then it's like, this hurts a little. Then you look at a bike and you look at a car and you're like, oh, I'm going to hurt a little, hurt a lot, right? A little pain where it can be controlled around people that love you is better than a whole lot of pain around people who don't, or cars that don't. There's another way to do it that the first service Thought I was a horrible monster for suggesting. I'm just going to say it just to, like, we just got to go this far. And if it's your first time at church, this is what I do, so don't get mad. Forgive me like Sean has to. I can take Neela, and I can go and get a little mannequin about her size. And I can, I can put Neela's jacket on it. And I can throw a ball across the street and throw the mannequin out there and have mom on a walkie-talkie come by, and boom! And I can be like, do you want that to be you? Look, that head doesn't work. Is that what you want? 99% success rate. She will never go on that. 99% chance that she's never going on the road again. And her destiny requires her to go on the road. She can't find her destiny in the house. She got to go out there to the battle, Canadians. There it is. There's been some leading and training, but there's also been some panicking. I'm going to show you how God trains you. He leads and trains. He leads and trains. He does not panic you. Now, panic is God-given for like a moment in time. What panic actually physically does to you, it narrows your sight of vision so you can't see what's coming. You, can't, you have no depth perception. All you got is this. And it's God-given to save your life in a moment. It actually impairs your logic centers. And all you can do is one thing. Every cell in your body is like, get out of the way of that truck. Panic prolonged, panic prolonged is psychologically devastating to a child. Yeah. Lead and train, lead and train. One takes a lot more work. One gets you a result, so you pat yourself on the back for being a good parent, then you deal with fear in your child. Listen, the enemy that we're facing right now, the greatest enemy is fear. That's right. And if you give it an inch, it's going to take a mile. I thought the mannequin thing was pretty funny. There's this thing back when I was a kid where the parents were like, go climb trees. I fell out of a tree one time, landed right in a rock. I'll tell you, that was a painful moment. But you know what? 
They didn't chop the tree down. I just climbed on bigger branches and got smart. Today's risk, if, if a society, if your family, if you as a person become risk adverse, see the risk of today's struggle is to, it's the training ground for your capacity for tomorrow's struggle. Because tomorrow's struggle, I hate to tell you, is greater than today's. And it is the training ground. Pressure and, and pain is the training ground for what God wants to do in you. It doesn't start with a big battle. It starts with a little battle. And then it works into a little more. And it, Some of you didn't like that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What if the devil couldn't send a truck to hit you in the road? What if he could make a hologram of a truck and simulate a not completely fatal situation and then sell you a product because you don't want to be afraid? Would you buy it? Here's what I know about fear. It gives you short-term energy. Here's what else I know about fear. Fear turns into anger. It does. Anger gives you long-term energy. Outrage, we're addicted to it now. King David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But what he didn't tell you was like, this takes a lot of energy to walk down there. But if you want to beat fear, that's what it's going to take. Lead and train, lead and train, lead and train, lead and train. This is what happens when the devil sends a truck hologram to you and all you can see is what's right in front of you. Girls, you will date a creep because that's all you can see and you're afraid of being lonely forever. Don't date creeps and creeps don't date my daughters. Somebody's going to find you in a dumpster and I don't care. I'll go back to jail. It'll panic you. It'll panic you. I'm always going to be broke. I might as well keep spending. Let's just spend it on the thing in front of me. The devil creates panic situations to freak you out. The devil creates panic situations and you start thinking to yourself, like if I was just married to somebody who was nice to me, problem is you're not nice. Problem is you'll just take yourself to the next one. Then you've got a problem. Fear creates dependency and whoever can create enough dependency and fear eventually rules. But people who rule from fear and create dependency are not fit to rule. You're not fit as a parent. You need to build your skill to train, to lead and train, to lead and train, to lead and train. Have you ever played this card? When I was an electrician one time, I came across a wiring situation. I heard a boss when I was young say this, and then I ended up saying it to a customer. I'm like, because I was working with wires, and then the wires lit on fire. And then I told the homeowner, maybe I shouldn't have, I said, it's not a matter of if your house burns down. It's a matter of when your house burns down. Because I was like, I would think that that's a little bit funny to say and try to make light of a hard situation. But I'll tell you what they never argued about was the cost of the bill. <laughs> Am I right? I didn't have to be like, these morets cost 14 cents a piece. They're like, we don't, we just want to die. <laughs> here's, here's what I know and here's, here's what I've had to come to and here's where I would like to lead and train you beyond. Fear plays a record. I'm stealing this from Pastor Stephen Furtick, the worst preacher of all time. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. Fear plays a record called Fear's Greatest Hits. I'm going to add to it a little bit from my experience. The first record, the first song on the record, are you ready? This is what you're playing right now. This is what most of you are playing. This is what everybody out there is playing. What if? What if? It's this open-ended fear pouring in of fearful information and fearful voices and fear. There's this weird energy attached to it, but it's like, what if? So like, what if? 
I touch this and then he touches or what if I'm out and I have phlegm in my throat and I spit on the walking path and a child licks it? <laughs> what if? And some of our what ifs just are like, they're all over the map. Yep. What? And if you don't have children, you don't know that's what kids do. You know what? There used to be a lot more dirt in a child's diet. And I'm a little bit worried they're, they're not going to have the immunity that the rest of us came up with eating dirt all the time. Something falls and rolls on the dirt. It's like, it's fine. Let's do it. What if? The what ifs remove your ability to soldier. Because a soldier, you as a human, are not meant to spend all the what ifs of the world and deal with them. There's only one whose shoulders are big enough, and that's God who created the whole world. And all he wants from you today is one thing. That's all that he wants. You don't have to do 50 things. You don't have to worry about the social trends. You don't have to worry about the school systems and how they're going to. All God wants for you to do is to follow orders and just do the one thing today and to get that right. And if you can do that, we'll build on it tomorrow, and we'll build on it tomorrow. Does that not simplify your life for you? What if? You've got to stop playing the what if record. Now, the funny thing is that the what if record is full of fear. And if you're playing the what if record, uh, the, the what if track, anybody who's graduated to, to part to the song two, which I want you to graduate to today, song two, anybody who's still playing song one secretly hates people who are playing song two because they're not responding in the same fear as they are. Let me explain this to you. Fear has a, has a little brother called anger, has a little brother called outrage, has a little brother called hate. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. There must then be fear in hate. But everybody playing track one in great fear, do you know what they say? And do you know what you say? I just love people too much. That's why I'm so afraid. That's what we say. That's what the devil says. You just love people too much, man. Nobody loves people like you do. That's why you're afraid. And God's like, if you were truly understood love, you could be in the middle of a battle. You could hang on a cross, Christ follower. And you still wouldn't have to be afraid. You'll have to face it. You'll have to get through it. But you will find Christ in a power that you can't imagine in there. I heard people in the persecuted countries look at the West and be like, we feel sorry for you because we know the grace and power of the living God. There is a fear that you have to walk into. What if, what if? You ready for song two? This is where we got to go today. Song two requires leading and training, and it's a lot harder, and there's a lot of failure, and there's a lot of, we got to work through it. Ready? Song one is what if. Song two is, but that would mean. You actually got to go there. We had family struggles, which would be a real nice way of saying that our family was done. And we had, I had to go there. I love my wife, and we're doing good now by the grace of God. But listen, listen. We had to get to the place where the devil couldn't put a gun to our heads anymore. And I had to get to this place like, if we lost this, but that would mean, but that would mean. I finally got to the place where I said, but that would mean after all this investment and it doesn't work and, and my kids might hate me and my, and we might lose and we might, and I might lose the church and I'm, but that would mean. You would still be God, and I would still be okay. If the worst thing happens to me, you would still be God, and I would still be okay, and I would still make it. And I would still have eternity in heaven. And, and 
you look at me sometimes and you judge me, but I think that I just play the track quicker than you played it maybe because I was so sick when I was a kid. And by the time I was five, I'm like, I'd rather get sick and die than ever be afraid of it again. There's never going to be Hitler shouting in my ear anymore. And what I did by day two of when this whole thing started in March or whenever it started 14 years ago, it's what it feels like. <laughs> I just went track one, what if? And I started spinning and then God's like, whoa, little buddy, you can't do that. And I went to, but that would mean if the worst thing happened to my family, and statistically, it almost can't. But if it did, you would still be God, and they would still be okay, and they would just beat us to heaven. And I went to this place where the devil couldn't threaten me anymore, and he certainly can't threaten me with something he can't even do. There's part three. You ready? This is all me now. It's not Stephen Frick, so. Now, you ready? This is eventually where you need to go. You need to go back to what if God. Yeah. Yeah. What if God can use all things and work all things together for the good of those who love him? What if God, listen, the devil pushed you up against the Red Sea and put Pharaoh behind you. What if God had a path through the sea to bury Pharaoh? What if God trapped the devil in our dependencies of fear yeah. and we keep buying the devil's product? What if that's a trap for the devil and our nation could actually come back to the living God? There's this thing that everybody's preaching called sanctity of life. What about sanctity of eternal life? Because I hate to break it to you, but you're going to die. It's hovering around the 100% mark. How about the sanctity of eternal life? Does that matter? Does your neighbor matter? I mean, you've got to fight fear. If you don't fight it, they're not going to be able to fight it. You've got to fight fear. Joshua and Caleb, I love Joshua and Caleb. Twelve spies go out to spy out the land, and ten come back, and so fear and panic into the congregation. And Joshua and Caleb, they shut everybody up. They're like, it says they silenced them. Do you know how you silence a band of slaves? I'm going to mess you up. John, I'm coming back there. You see this? They silenced everybody and said, listen, it doesn't matter how big they are. Their protection has been removed from them. Look how big the crops are. Look how big God is. Look how big. This is not the first miracle. We are well able to, song two, but that would mean song three, what if God, we are well able to take those guys. They can swing a sword, but it's going to be like a little toy sword when I get there, man. It's going to bring some hurt to the devil. Some of you are looking at Goliath and Goliath's too big to beat, but David's like, Goliath's too big to miss. He's like, man, those shepherd boys, they could sling a stone so far and brush the tip of a sheep's nose to turn them back. And he's like, I've got this forehead, Goliath, that's like half an acre. I could tip a tree over and hit it. There's something about a spirit of God got to rise up inside of you so you quit being afraid. Second Kings 6, we're going on with the story of Elisha. This is now the second siege. The first siege, you got to go back and, and listen or watch it. The first siege, if you don't turn to God in the first siege, there will be a second siege. If you don't, stop playing track one. No. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire enemy and besieged Canada, Samaria. <laughs> A man named David Guzik says this. He used the common method of attack in those days of securely walled cities. He besieged Samaria. You might be thinking, like, what does this have to do with my life right now? You ready? You ready? A siege was intended to surround a city, prevent all business and trade from entering or leaving the city, and to eventually starve the population into surrender. 
Meaning you can't beat a population and you can't beat an army until they beat themselves. When they beat themselves, it doesn't matter how many you've got, you're still going to lose. Come on, Canadians. I know we love peace, but man, there's a peace on the other side of war that we got to get to. And if you won't get to it, your kids will have to. And that, to me, is unacceptable. I cannot imagine a world where my kids have to fight the same fight that I've, that was God gave me the opportunity to fight for them. They're going to have bigger things to worry about than what we're dealing with. Amen? There's more that God intended for them to get to. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head, you know this, if you go down to the market, sold for 80 pieces of silver. Did we got any meat smokers in the house? Mm, give me some of that donkey head. I love that. That's good stuff, man. Woo! You got that right, man. You got like cherry wood in there. That's good. That's delicious donkey head. Man, I love the crunch. What's that? Eyeballs. That's good. I like that. So gross. Hey, hey. We got to start laughing at fear because if you laugh at fear, you can beat it. And a cup of Doug's, Dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Man, that had better be the best Dove's dung I ever had for five pieces of silver, man. <laughs> We're out of coffee. What do we got? Uh, some very expensive Dove's dung. Whew, that'll wake you up. Come on. <laughs> One day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall, it's going to get gross, just bear with me. As a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. He answered, if the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither, this is, this is when society and all the things that we've trusted in are just at the end of themselves. And they're like, if the lord doesn't help you, I can't do anything anymore. I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. And then it gets all into like that movie Alive. Anybody watch that? plane crash in the Andes, and they lived for a really long time, but the only food they had was each other. That's what happens. Cannibalism. That's what happens in this siege. Now, don't you tell me that you know more fear than they know. Watch what the word of the prophet says, though. And that's eventually, I hate to say it, but that's eventually what we do. We get so hungry, and we get so worried, and so afraid that we start eating at each other. Yeah, right. the people are not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. You get mad at people. People are just people. They're just afraid. They're just worried. They just don't know what to do. The devil is the end. We got to go after the devil. Man, if, listen, if your family's messed up, your spouse is messed up, go after the devil and get mad at the devil and be like, you can't come and take that away from her. You can't come and take that away from my child. You can't come and do whatever you want. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. Verse 31, may God strike me and even kill me. Watch what fear does, though. It turns to anger. May God strike me and kill me. If I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king vowed. So eventually your anger will turn into anger against God. Careful. And you'll think you're righteously following God by trying to kill his prophet. Or his pastor, I'm just saying. Nice. Be nice. Now watch this, watch this. Elisha was sitting in the house with the elders of Israel. A murderer has sent a man to cut off my head when he arrives. Shut the door. Keep him out. That's good wisdom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we will soon hear his master steps following him while he was saying this messenger arrived. The king said he arrived at the wrong conclusion. All this misery is from the Lord. What? Yeah, the Lord's totally into. No. The Lord created Eden and the Lord created he heaven and sin destroyed that. And we did that. Not the Lord. The Lord is redeeming life one person at a time. And he says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This morning is your turning point. 
Elisha's like, okay, enough of what if. Song two, let's go to what if God. Listen to this message from the Lord. What he says is stop talking. Stop talking about fear. Stop talking about what the devil is doing. Listen, you're an adult. Can you do that? Stop yourself. Stop thyself, the Old Testament would say in the King James. Just stop. We got any panickers in the house? My wife. I love my wife. She's a, yeah, she's a panicker. She's super smart, but when she panics, man, it's like, oh, my goodness. She just took a, uh, an axe down to the bottom of the boat, and I'm like, what are you doing? It's a storm. She's like, I'm letting the water out. I'm like, <laughs> sort of. Um, listen, if you're panickers, look, you got to get a hold of fear and discipline yourself. Don't talk about fear. Don't talk. Don't talk. Don't just be quiet long enough to possess your soul and patience and hear the word of the Lord. As long as you're talking, you can't hear what he's whispering. Listen to this message of the Lord. This is what he says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. Instead of a donkey head costing the price of two and, a half, two, and two thirds slaves. You didn't know that. A slave was worth 30 pieces of silver, 80 pieces of silver. Two regular men and one, one Beth Cope. <laughs> 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. That's better. I can afford it. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Watch it. If you can't say something in faith, don't say it. He goes, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And it's funny that the Lord uses that same scripture in the book of Malachi to say, if you give me a tenth, I will open the windows of heaven because I can. Yeah. <laughs> All your anger is not going to matter. Elisha replied, you'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't eat of it. And here's what I want to say to you. You got to discipline yourself because I want you to see it and I want you to eat it. I don't want you to see it and not to eat it. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor. Y'all are thinking about it. It's okay. Look, I know you feel a little bit guilty, but you just got to be like, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, that's a good word. The person beside me is super quiet because he'd feel guilty. <laughs> Not me, man. I got it. I got it. <laughs> now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. They said, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. I love these guys. <laughs> We'd hang out, except for they got leprosy. Listen, listen, if you get COVID, we're going to love you and you can just get better and come back to church. Is that okay? We're not going to publicly shame you and treat you like you got leprosy. You're laughing, but you know I'm talking about we love you. And it's okay. You can get the flu and come back. He says, we will starve if we stay here, but the famine in the city, uh, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. These guys stop panicking. You know what? Sometimes you got to have nothing to lose. So you stop panicking and actually think straight. Like we're dead if we stay and we're dead if we go, but... I'm still hungry, <laughs> right? These were guys, obviously, because girls, you know, you don't get it. Listen, listen, here's some marriage advice. If, if you're married to a man, guys are either hungry or we want to make out or both. That's it. I had to save somebody's marriage. I'm telling you right now, we're not complicated. Y'all are complicated. We're not complicated. You hungry? You want to make out? Both? Okay. It's, it's never nothing. Well, sometimes it is. It's like, what are you thinking about? Nothing. We're not joking. We mean it. We will starve if we stay here. But the first service didn't get that. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, 
They set out for the camp of the Arameans, but when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Listen, 99% of the things you're afraid about never actually happen. No one was even there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear this, the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites. He sent a hologram of a truck and they fell for it. He drove by in his piece of garbage Shelby Cobra with the stereo up and they freaked out. Where is he? You can forgive me too, just like Sean. I'm leading in training and forgiveness and patience. You're welcome. I created patience in a lot of people. You're, you're welcome, everybody. So they panicked and ran into the night. Did you know that the very sense of panic that you had this morning when you woke up, the devil had in, in spades because the devil was afraid you were just going to make it to church and worship your face off and see what God could do. Why are you afraid? It's the devil who's afraid, man. The devil's afraid of you. Maybe not you, but maybe Christ in you. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and, and hid it. <laughs> Maybe they weren't the best guys, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, they've been stressed out for a long time. They just went and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. You got to have good friends around you. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Like, you already got leprosy. <laughs> like, what could happen, right? Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that the price of bread went down. Just as the Lord had promised. Verse 17, the king appointed his officer, that same guy who couldn't keep his mouth shut, appointed him to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out because he cared more about the rules than he cared about people eating food. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. King David says to me, says to me and he says to you, you prepare a table, God, before me in the presence of all my friends where it's easy, where there's no pressure anymore. No, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which means some of y'all need to go into <laughs> the enemy's camp and open the fridge door and make yourself a sandwich and be like, whoa, this doesn't belong to you. This belongs to me. This belongs to the Lord, my God. You gonna stop me from doing this? I don't mean you're arrogant and I don't mean that you're not wise and not safe, but I'm telling you, if you're afraid, it doesn't, all the other stopgap measures won't matter because fear will still own you. And that's what the devil wants. The, the problem is not your marriage problem. The problem is not sickness. The problem is not addiction. The problem is that you're afraid of it. God wants to deal with your fear. Let him. Here's what I know. Somebody got to go through that gate first. You feel like you got leprosy and you can't do it because you're tired and you're, and you're afraid. And you're, somebody got to go through there first or everybody else is going to stay in that city when God has prepared a feast in front of your enemies and everybody's going to starve while the food's a hundred yards away because God did what God always does. He wins. And I want you to go to war today, not just for you, it can't be just for you. Here's what I say to people when I'm trying to counsel them. I'm like, you're unhealthy, but if all you want is happiness and personal happiness, it won't be enough leverage to change you. You have to think about who you're changing for. Yeah. 
It has to be unacceptable that somebody else would fight a battle that you could have fought. You have to do this for other people around you because you're not made to serve yourself. You're made to serve people and you're made to connect with God. God is waiting for you to get tired of being afraid. Because um, we feel like children, but actually sometimes I just, here's the secret, I just go into God. I'm, I'm like, I'm just afraid and I know that it doesn't make any sense, but I am. Could you whisper some things over me? And then he opens the scriptures up and gives me promises that are sure and they're precious and they're holy. And the devil can't do anything about them. And then the curses that the devil's speaking to me, I'm getting the blessing. And every curse goes back to him and I just keep getting the blessings. And every time that I admit a little vulnerability to God, God brings about a victory in my life. And God brings about a victory for you. Because if I don't beat fear, I don't know that you will. But you're, gonna, you're not going to see me cowering in the city gate and starving. We're going to go out there because that's where we need to go. Listen, we have to... The devil cannot beat us with fear. We have to. Our only right is our refusal to bow to any God but ours. And God, the devil wants you to worship fear. Unconditionally accept all of it. But I want you to accept the worship of God today. We're going to sing a song about revival. And I think that today's the day you're going to press track two. And I think some of you might even jump to track three and go, what if God? What if God had a plan this entire time? And that's what we're going to do. All right.